Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we'll be talking with today. We're going to start off with uh, Dr. Ife Williams, uh, the recently uh, retired uh, president of the National uh, Congress of Black Women in Washington, D.C. She is a host of a, a talk show in Washington, D.C. Uh, she also is a Trice Edney columnist, and her column is carried by the Seattle Media newspaper. It was in last week's edition that, that, uh, that I know for a fact. But Dr. Williams, I uh, want to thank you very much for your time today. Congratulations on your all the work you did with uh, the National Congress of Black Women in terms of uh, uh, getting things done and, and getting people elected, all those good things. So now we're up to uh, one just find out uh, you have uh, a, a Dick Gregory uh, uh, book coming out, and you have some other publications coming out. So why don't you just take a couple of minutes and just share with our listeners exactly what you're doing now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that introduction. And of course, our most famous thing from the National Congress of Black Women was putting the Sojourner Truth statue in the United States Capitol, making her the first Black woman there. So that that is what I would like to uh, claim. Um, yeah, I um, met Dick Gregory many years ago when I was running for Congress in Louisiana. And we became very good friends then. And when I came back to Washington, he started calling me to go on rallies with him, to speaking engagements or whatever he had to do. So I joined him and he would tell me a lot of things about his mom and uh, how when he was in high school, you know, he used to run track. But his mom never knew that was him because always in the newspapers, it said Dick Gregory, and she had named him Richard Gregory. So she just one day said, oh, I sometimes wish that was my boy doing all those things. So it was that kind of thing that he uh, always told me about. So I wrote a book about him because I, I write often when I'm in pain about something. And when he left us in two, uh, 2017, I was just very hurt. I was the last person in the room with him had been there with him all week, holding his hand, uh, trying to help him to be comfortable. And um, he was then taken to, he was about to be taken to another hospital to get surgery. But of course he passed away from, from his hospital bed at one hospital on the way to the other. So I came home and I started writing and I wrote a book called Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. And I've been taking tours doing that and as you know, um, Eddie, just coming up this week, uh, no, it'll be a couple of weeks still. October 12th was Mr. Gregory's birthday. He would have been 90 years old this year. So we are doing a big event here in Washington, D.C. at, at um, a, a restaurant. Uh, and we will be doing book signings. We'll be talking about him and just kind of remembering some of the things that he did when he was with us. Uh, as you know, he pick, he would pick at anybody that he thought was doing wrong. He would travel to any country. And he and I had an opportunity to travel to London and other places. Um, you might remember the time when we were picketing British Petroleum uh, because of the uh, oil spill, when they were not being fair to the people who were injured by that uh, oil spill. Uh, you might remember him picketing um, over the, the death of Trayvon Martin. There was just so much that we did together. We were like inseparable. Uh, he went to my events, I went to his events, and then we had events together. <clears throat> and now we got we have a, a major uphill battle coming up. The midterm election, they folks have been saying that uh, uh, our people don't show up. 
but we don't even have to show up. We got to show out because uh, we got some dastardly things ready to happen if the other side wins. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and, and, all, and, and all those guys because they lined up and they're running for office. Uh, they're in the, in, the, in the generals. So uh, just give me your observation now of where we are as a country and where is our democracy? Well, I think we've gone backwards in a lot of ways because once we got the right to vote, it seems that some of our people thought that we had it made and they began acting like that. Sometimes they even treated each other like that. And um, and so, you know, it was just, it's very difficult now. Um, we had COVID, um, COVID and um, it was, um, you know, it just seems that people got meaner. So many people just, uh, got selfish, they got meaner when they were staying at home and just sort of forgetting the kinds of things that we needed to be working on. But we've got to make up some time. We only have about 40 some days left to get our act together, to be out there and vote. A lot of people don't understand all the things that are controlled by who is in the Congress, who is in the Senate. And so it's time for us to be telling all of our friends uh, how important it is. I know in 2016, we lost a big election to Trump because a lot of our young people didn't understand the need to vote. We've got to keep hammering to them that their vote is just as important as our vote and make sure they get out to vote. Be willing to take people out to vote if we have to, because that's the only way we're going to get back on track. It's some of the things that were taken away from us, like many of our voting rights. We will have to vote to get the right people in. We will have to get the right people in to talk about gun control and make a difference. Immigration, all those things. I will depend upon who we elect in November. And we know what we'll get if it goes the other way. Now, I just want to ask you right quickly, uh, what do you think about the, the Republican governors, Abbott and DeSantis, <clears throat> sending uh, uh, refugees to the northern cities? Uh, I think it's absolutely criminal. And we as Black people in particular need to remember when these things, or no, we might not remember because we weren't old enough when the same kinds of tricks were pulled on Black people from the South because Southern uh, Southerners, Southern races did not want our people to be where they were. So they uh, started fooling Black people, telling them that when they got to certain places like Massachusetts, which is where Abbott and others have sent people, um, well, DeSantis actually sent the people to Massachusetts. Uh, we know that um, this happened. I was observing one woman who had about six little children. She was all dressed up. You know, Black women were accustomed to wearing their hats and dressing up when they went someplace. And she arrived there, having been told there would be a job waiting for her when she got there and uh, that she would have a place to live and the president was going to meet her there. None of that happened, of course, and they knew it would not. And that's the same kind of trick that DeSantis and uh, some of the others are in Abbott, and I'm sure some others will join them soon. It is criminal what they are doing, and someone needs to decide to file suit against them. I certainly hope the Justice Department is looking what they're doing and uh, finding out and letting them know that they cannot continue to do this. These people are human beings. It doesn't matter from where or whence they have come. They're still human beings, and this is no way to treat any anybody. They're making America look bad doing this to uh, people. Yeah, well, there's no question about that because, you know, we talk about other people's governments and uh, I don't really think we can uh, be uh, sitting up now as uh, the individual democracy that can dictate about how other governments work because we're no better than them. 
Uh, well, absolutely. And you know, some of this stuff started with um, Donald Trump. I know we've had problems before, but I mean, they really got high. So much of it started to happen. And some of it, so much of it is encouraged now by Donald Trump and his um, people that, you know, work for him, believe in him, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. And uh, we have got to overcome that. And we can only overcome it by putting the right people in office. So we need to be listening to um, our people, listen to our ministers, listen to shows like yours, where you're talking about what the real issues are and why we need to be going out to vote in larger numbers than we've ever voted before. Well, I want to uh, go to uh, legendary civil rights attorney, emeritus now, uh, Lem Howe. Uh, he's intricately involved with uh, the Democratic Party. He also is an activist, a civil rights activist and attorney. And uh, I would, do, I would like to change the subject now to talk about what's happening with the Trump family. And Miss Letitia James really seems to have her foot on somebody's neck. Uh, the oh, by the way, we honored Letitia James two years ago uh, when I was with the National sure. Congress of Black Women, and I'm certainly glad we did. You go get it, uh, Councilor Howell. All right. <laughs> yes, I, I think she's so admirable. I am so proud of her. She was. She spoke with distinction, poise. She yes. was great. And I I didn't think the New York Times story today did her enough justice because she was magnificent. But we should talk about, as you said, Eddie, the uh, problems facing Donald Trump, his three adult children, and his company. She is suing them for $250 million in that fraud lawsuit that she brought against, against the family and the company. Uh, you know, she said that there were something like 200 instances of them fabricating false statements in so much so that it was billions of dollars of fraud that, and she thinks criminal laws were violated. We must note that she does not have criminal law powers. She, this is a civil case and this is getting Trump where it hurts, money, $250 million. You know, one of the good examples that she gave was Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Trump has it listed as 750 million. The true value because of restrictions on the property is only 75 million. So it, can you believe that? So he has it listed at 750 million. That's just one example. Uh, he, uh, Leticia has referred the case also to the Southern, to the, uh, Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office, so that for follow-up, of course, they won't tell you whether it's done. But it wasn't, she did not have, she was not out to get Trump. She saw Michael Cohen testifying in Congress, and that launched the investigation about Trump. And then, you know, he started a lawsuit to prevent her from doing it because it's politics. And that suit was dismissed. So she was in there fighting from the beginning. And I love the way she cast it. It's not art of the deal. It's art of the steal. That's exactly what he's done here. And 
with three years of investigation, interviewing hundreds of witnesses, going through millions of documents, they put together a good case. But I have to warn you, this is going to be a case of experts in civil case. He's going to have people come in and say, oh no, it's worth a billion dollars if it's worth a say. That's nonsense. And the jury has to sift, sift through all of that. And of course, he's casting it as a witch hunt as he does everything that comes on. But you know, he's like a Teflon individual. Everything, he has weathered so many storms and he's paid off so many uh, uh, things like that Trump University. You remember the Trump University? He had to pay the, the uh, uh, people who signed up for $25 million. But he's always getting away. Hopefully one day they'll get him. Where there was another good piece of news too uh, on the same day that this came out. And that was that the 11th Circuit also slapped down that judge, that Trump appointed judge in uh, Florida, where she was holding up the investigation and saying that the FBI had to turn over the secret documents that they had and so forth, and that they'd appoint a special master. Well, they did appoint a special master who the Court of Appeals let stay in place. But the, the uh, uh, 11th Circuit three panel, three judge panel ruled that the FBI can, can go ahead and conduct their investigation, uh, their criminal investigation, and also to find out how serious the damage is. What we forget is that this SOB had those had those documents for a year and a half. We don't know how many, what he's done with them, and we don't know whether he still has documents because there were four files that said secret, but there was nothing in the files. And he had them in his desk drawer in his office, and he had them in a storage, and they took film and saw people going in and out of that storage places. This is top secret. I, when I was in the Navy, Eddie, I used to meet, ask me, how, Lem, how is it to be both Navy and Black? I don't remember if you remember those days. Navy and Black. But I'm a retired, yeah. yeah, I'm a retirement commander in the Navy. Now, to get top secret clearance, the FBI has to do an FBI background check on you. Trump could never pass it. His kids couldn't pass it. And then he declared that they're cleared for these documents. And so... In fact, there's a special category, not only top secret, but special handling on a need to know basis with only certain people having that qualification above top secret. And he had some of those documents. Nobody, none of his minions have explained to me what he's doing with those documents. Why the so, hell does he have those documents? Lim, I'm really thinking that when Jared Kushner came back with those trillions of dollars from uh, United Arab Emirates, with ABS, I think that he probably sold some documents. But I want to hear Dr. E.P.A. Williams' uh, take on this whole Trump fiasco that's been going on forever and ever. Dr. Williams? Well, you know, this is not the first time uh, uh, that something like this has gone on with him, and he's been getting away with it. But it looks like this time uh, there is real, real uh, information that, that we have, that the government has, that Letitia James has, that the special masters will be able to look at. And, and all, 
I think this time with all of the information out there, and particularly when he's doing something against the, the country for which he served as president, well, I, would, I shouldn't even say serve, but he was in there as president, uh, this is just about as bad as you can get it. So we look forward to all of the hearings. And what people need to understand is this is not, as, uh, as, as uh, Counselor Howell said, this is not about Letitia James trying to get him. He gets himself into all of these things, but he's been lucky enough to get out of them. And the rulings in the last few days, the, uh, yesterday, by that 11th Circuit, those were Trump appointees, the majority of, of them. Uh, were Trump appointees. So uh, we know that the first judge, Judge Cannon, was a Trump appointee and apparently tried to get him off, tried to, um, you know, get something that was in his favor, but she was overruled. And I hope that people remember that. It means that she was not right to begin with. And she had taken a pretty, pretty hard beating over the days that uh, she had had the case because she was doing so many things that were making an effort to get Trump out of this. And Counselor, I thank you for that summary that you gave of the case, these are the things we have to keep doing so that our people understand what is really happening and not be afraid to speak out. That's what Dick Gregory would have done. He would have been speaking out all over the place about that. And that's one of the things I talk about in my book, Eddie, that I that I mentioned, Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. And I hope I can give my email or my number. So you can do all that right now if you want I? to. Go right okay. ahead. All right, my email is just my name, uh, abbreviated Dr. D-R-E-F-A-Y-E Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S at gmail.com. And of course, if you want more information, you may uh, call me on 202-554-0159. That's 202-554-0159. And by the way, the uh, documentary that was made about Mr. Gregory recently and uh, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart and uh, Nick Cannon and all of us had bit parts in the movie. It's been nominated for an Emmy. So we're looking forward to winning that uh, pretty soon. And I'm having a documentary made about me also. And uh, I, it's from some of my peace activities. You know, just last year, I became a United States um, or United Nations peace ambassador. So I've been doing some work. I started out doing work with uh, Ukraine. And of course, you know, I got sick, so I wasn't able to do all of that all summer. But I did work with the Ukrainians as my first job in the United Nations. Well, congratulations. Uh, Go ahead, Lev. Yeah, I wanted to say that this election is crucial. Almost every election from I was a child would say, well, this is a very important election and so forth. This is crucial for the survival of the republic. And I think Democrats have a way of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Their messaging is always terrible. They should just concentrate on Trump and his supporters and say, look what they support. Biden is, is not the president. He's the president and so forth. Do you know what this SLB said? He said that he could just think that he declassified the information and it's declassified, that he doesn't have to take any action. And there are cases, I think there are three cases that say, no, you have to go through the procedure because you have to let the various departments know that that information is classified confidential secret or top secret. But he said he can just think about it being <laughs> unclassified and he declassified these documents. There's no record of it. And the Court of Appeals says it doesn't matter 
whether it's classified, uh, classified information or not. The very fact that these government documents are in his possession and he's not the president, the present president has not declassified these documents. And so it's open and shut. And I think the case that Garland is building is going to be great. Now, is it just the obstruction of what he did on January 6th? Or is it this business of stealing documents? Nobody, none of the press says he stole the documents. That's what he did. He's a thief. He stole the documents. And so that we have to put everything in perspective. What are these documents doing in his possession? He is a thief. He stole them. He should go to jail. Well, it would, and he should be on about five or six other accounts as well. I, I, uh, we, I, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back back for about five or six minutes. So, uh, uh, Nathan, if we could take the break now and then come back. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie, right back at Urban Forum Northwest with Attorney Lem Howell, uh, Dr. E.K. Williams, and we got Stephanie Johnson waiting in the wings. And uh, we were talking about uh, the dastardly deeds of, of Donald Trump and his minions, and as well as his family. So, uh, Dr. E.K. Williams, you were going to make well, she's, and I, well, you were going to make a point before we took the break. Okay. I was reemphasizing what Councilor uh, Howell was saying was this is uh, so critical for us to uh, vote this time because the cha the changes are urgent. They need to be made. And we have a responsibility to keep talking to our people about what the deal really is. And all of these things that we hear, even when we see sitting there in front of Trump talking about, you know, with those uh, black people, blacks for Trump and the white T-shirts, they probably yes, got indeed, and a hot dog, you know, to, to come in there with him. There's no way that these black people are supporting him 
but uh, let us not be fooled. Every vote makes a difference. And, and, and every and we, election. Go ahead, Lynn. Yeah, yeah, and we have to send the right message. Eddie, I forgot to mention before, one of the things that really hurts the pocketbook or will hurt the pocketbook is that they're seeking an injunction in New York, Letitia James, the attorney general, to prevent the Trump family from doing business in New York for at least five years. Now that that really hurts. That crimps his, if he does prevent them from doing business in New York really hurts the pocketbook. So uh, I mean, this case he's going to pay attention to. He's not worried about going to prison because he'll, he figured that he'll get a pardon or something. They said he's an ex-president, so Biden or somebody else will pardon him. But he's worried about his money. That's his biggest, that's why he took those documents, for money. Exactly. And that's why I think they've been sold, because when Jared Kushner comes back with all that money from Saudi Arabia, you know, it, he doesn't get it on a handshake. Some was in his hand when he shook his uh, the Saudi man's hand. So- uh, there were even nuclear documents in some of those they found. That's dangerous, as you were talking about. It's very yeah. dangerous. Yes, it's absolutely. And then the vacant ones that we don't know what was in them, that's what's even scarier. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the thing about it is that his followers continue to believe whatever he says. And we have how many Trump supported, I know in Washington State, we have, I think, two Trump-supported individuals. One is uh, uh, running for the Senate. Uh, that's Tiff Tiffany Smiley. Yes. Uh, she was, took the pictures with Donald Trump. She's 100%. But like a lot of Republicans now, they're scrubbing their, uh, their, their, their uh, former posts when they were opposed uh, to abortion. And now they see after this uh, election in Kansas and also that... Uh, uh, Republican incumbent and New York losing, they're beginning to take notice. So, uh, Lim, how do you think this will have the impact it needs to have to, to hold on to the Senate and the House? Yeah, I think it could, Eddie, but Democrats always miss the message. The message ought to be abortion and Trump uh, and Trump uh, uh, disciple. If they're Trump disciples that Biden didn't win the election, then emphasize that in the message. And the fact that uh, 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 abortion, it's proven twice, as you said, in Upper New York and in Kansas, that that uh, uh, abortion is a key issue. So Democrats should jump on that. Forget all the other issues. Jump on that and say that this smiley candidate, attractive woman, is really a Trump disciple, and she believes he's still president. And she approves everything he did, and uh, that the people who were in uh, Washington D.C. and were part of the riot were were patriots and all this nonsense. Hit them where it hurts. Don't go for this smiling facade and said, "Well, oh, this young attractive woman is running, and Patty's been there too long." That's nonsense. Get them. Get them now. They're affiliated with Trump, and they are also against abortion. So get those are the two issues that Democrats should hone in on. Yeah, and, and you know, there are some districts, there are some districts in which um, only, uh, well, Republicans are running and they're Republican districts. And we know that, I mean, by far, 
like down in Florida, there's a young woman by the name of Rebecca Jones, and she's running against Matt Gates. So I don't care. I would be out there getting votes out for Rebecca Jones against Matt Gates. So don't be afraid to do that. You may not be able to vote for uh, Rebecca Jones, but you certainly can be out there helping get out the vote so that she can beat. Right now, her poll is saying she can beat him, but it's a matter of getting people to the polls. Well, Matt Gates should be in jail anyway, but for taking a teenage girl across state lines for sex purposes. So he, he needs to be in jail anyway. But once again, uh, that's, that's some of that at, at, uh, Trump uh, gratuity that they have. They don't seem to have to pay for any of their sins. So, Lim, uh, locally, uh, people got to understand that local elections mean a lot. Uh, your city council, your county council, your legislators, who the secretary of state is, who the governor is. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, because a lot of people, oh, well, we're not going to vote this time. You better vote mm-hmm. like your life depends on it because your and, life and, will and depend on it. Eddie, there's a good candidate running for seat number two in the 37th district, and Chapalo Street is a good, good candidate for that. He has all the Democratic credentials, and he's also technically competent. Now, when you combine technical competence with Democratic values, that's a winning ticket. All I know, his opponent has quite a few uh, elected officials as uh, who support her and endorse her as well. Uh, so I know that that uh, I know that the Times endorsed uh, Chappelle. I know that, but and uh, even the stranger, the stranger of all publications endorsed him. So you know he's got to be okay when two radically opposed groups both think he's the good candidate. Yeah, well, that'll be very interesting. And I just hope that the most important thing is people exercise their right. Dr. Ife, in Washington State, we have mail-in voting. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody has a chance to drop their ballot. Plus, it does, there's no postage on it. And they have drop-off boxes everywhere. And uh, we, I hope we don't have the problems they had in Georgia with some of the Trumpites coming into the election headquarters. Uh, you know, if, if, can you imagine if a Black person did that? They would be oh, under yeah. the jail for, in the yeah. first place, they wouldn't let them to election headquarters anyway. So, right. I mean, it's just one of those things. So, has uh, Reverend Harriet Walden joined us yet? I guess she's out here. So, okay, well, uh, Dr. Uh, Ife Williams, uh, I will see you uh, next week, uh, hopefully. I will be in oh, Washington okay. for the Congressional Black Caucus. Okay, uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there, but there won't be a, uh, there won't be a, a, a we won't thing. be having the usual brunches okay. that we used to have. Uh, I think it's coming up a bit later, uh, but I'll let you know if that if that does come up. Um, okay. Well, I want to thank you. And thank, you so I yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Can I congratulate uh, Chris Bennett? He received an award just recently. Chris B. Bennett. That's right. Yes. Yes. Well, I wanted your listeners to know that you've got a great newspaper up there, and I enjoy every time they print one of my articles. I get yep. good response from uh, from your area. Yeah, Chris B. Bennett was named Innovator of the Year by the local media association. So, yes. Lemal, Dr. Ife, thank you very much. We're gonna thank go you. to uh, uh, we're gonna go to Reverend Harriet Walden now, the founder of Mothers for Police Accountability. We just got a new uh, police chief in Seattle, a person that I supported and endorsed. So go ahead, Lynn, before we go to Reverend Harriet. Okay, uh, Eddie, I, I just wanted to say, I couldn't have examined, I couldn't have thought he wouldn't have appointed the interim chief, but that's for another another okay. discussion some other time. All right, then. Thank you very much. All Reverend right. Harriet? Bye. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> 
Okay, Reverend Harry Walden, founder of Mothers for Police Accountability over 30 years ago, and is involved with all of the actions pertaining to the police locally, nationally, and uh, uh, does hold them accountable. So Reverend Harry, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for the invite. Okay, so we got a, uh, why don't you just take a couple of minutes and talk about Mothers for Police Accountability. All right, well, thank you. Would you like to say we've been around this our third, second year. We had no idea we'd be going over generation. Uh, our goal was we started out as Mothers Against Police Harassment at a names change in uh, probably 1996, for Mothers for Police Accountability. And uh, we are a community watchdog group, but not only here, but across the country. We've worked in Chicago with Mayor Powers, and we've been in a lot of uh, trans, uh, uh, trans uh, 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 a lot of uh, issues and worked on a lot of issues around in different states uh, and that kind of stuff. And I do host uh, on Mondays Mother's Justice Show at 11.50 a.m. KKNW. Myself been on that for like seven and a half years now. Our goal is to keep the grassroots voice alive, not only in Seattle, but around the country. Uh, and so we talk to people in New Mexico and New York City and all the places where people are having trouble with police. Uh, and I've uh, and been part of uh, three police uh, uh, chief search. Uh, and this was this one here was my third one. I was part of the search for Norm Stamper. Uh, I mean, when Norm Stamper was appointed. Uh, and also with uh, John Diaz, uh, when he was appointed, I was on that search committee. And this by far, I think, was one of the best search committees search uh, uh, committee that I've ever been on. It was uh, highly professional, um, no leaks. I mean, if everybody kept confidentiality, uh, it was lots of good kind of candidates. I mean, five names was put forward. Uh, and uh, then it was uh, uh, it was an evaluation and written exams that was done by people who could do that. We had nothing to do with that. Uh, we had nothing to do with any other process after we sent the five names uh, that uh, that people recommended to go forward, uh, and then the rest of the process was handled by the professionals. Uh, and after the testing and those things, the uh, the three competitive people uh, names was given to the mayor, and those individuals was uh, was uh, presented to the uh, to the community. Uh, and um, on uh, Tuesday, the mayor made his choice, uh, and he chose uh, uh, Adrian T uh, Chief Diaz. To be the uh, to uh, be the police chief, and I, uh, you know, we all, so many of us, we agreed with that. I mean, uh, you know, we had no we influence. As the mayor said in the press conference, nobody called him and asked him, you know, to say anything. Well, blah blah blah. None of that happened. It was really truly professional, transparent, and uh, I personally thought that Adrian uh, was the best person for the job because number one, <laughs> um, he he got it handed to him when it was terrible. I mean, what, what he went through and what he's still working through was a dismantling of the police department, by, I mean, happened under, under the city council's watch. And the city council, those are the same people who say they, they like by, BIPOC people that ran common best out of town. See, that's uh, uh, with what they did. So, so at the time he was interim, <laughs> he stepped up with all this trouble going on and has done the best job he could well, as police officers have been leaving the uh, city that he didn't cause that. The city council caused that. And I think we have to continue to remind the city council. They fixed it. They broke this. Uh, and then he came up with some innovative ideas. As they thought, you know, the, uh, before the badge, 
I also said, before they go to the academy, now they're coming around into the community, spending time in the community. This is a good innovation. He also has some programs that he's going to, I mean, implement for, for captains and above for them to get more mentorship and more training. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, uh, I just think he's a good person. I think, I just personally think that mothers, we think he was the best person for the job. He was always out in the community. People know him. He was out in the community for many, many years, and he's still out in the community. And uh, he, I talked to him after the after Torchlight Parade, and he said, well, more than, he said, I have so much support in the black community. He said, uh, he said almost on every block during the Torchlight tor- tor- Parade, people just came up to me and, hey, Chief, you're doing a good job. He called, he was so excited about how, uh, how uh, you know, the whole black community is not anti-police. I wanted to defund the police. So personally, he was my, my choice. Well, I, I also uh, announced that he was my choice on Facebook. So uh, <laughs> he's been there a couple of years. I mean, he knows the ins and outs. And uh, as you said, he and also the fire chief, Harold Scoggins, are always in the community. As a matter of fact, on our August 28th event to commemorate and observe the 59th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for Jobs and Freedom, uh, the fire chief and uh uh, acting Chief Adrian Diaz was right there at Martin Luther King Park. Uh, right. We see them at the at all of the events in our community that I'm involved with. And I'm not involved with everything, but the things that I am involved with, I do see them. So I definitely support uh, his leadership. And like you said, he came at a time when things were really out of touch. I mean, they were just in disarray. And uh, I don't, you know, I can't blame the police for that stuff because it was decisions that were being made by other people. That uh, that caused a lot of these issues they had to deal with, but like I said, I'm a I'm a Adrian Diaz supporter until he proves to me that he's not worthy of supporting. But so far, I've had nothing but positive experience with him, and hopefully, uh, he can put uh, his uh, sensitivity into all of the police officers when it comes down to uh, uh, racial profiling and other miscarriages of justice. Hopefully, he'll have an impact on that. So. Uh, Reverend Harry, I just want to uh, also uh, let folks know about uh, how they can access information about Mothers for Police Accountability. Okay, well, we have a wonderful website up. It's, it's Mothers I, I, with Echo Mothers for Police Accountability uh, at yahoo.com. Also, we're hosting our, our first community meeting in a long time uh, next Wednesday night at the uh, Liberty Bank uh, uh, Building Community Room. It's going to be from 6 to 7.30. The community is welcome. Uh, I, and I, on November 10th, we're hosting our Mother's Justice Breakfast. The place is still to be um, to be uh, announced. And also the last uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday in October, we also will be hosting another community meeting. At that time, one of those meetings, we're going to hope to have Chief there and maybe bring some of the new cadets uh, uh, to be presented to the community. Uh, these are the ones who are going to, before they go, go through the academy, uh, they're going to be coming out in the community. So those are some of the things we got for uh, coming up, uh, and we hope to see the community come out and support us. Well, I like the idea of the the process now of having the folks come to, out to the community before they be, go to the academy to be trained, because right. I think that that yeah. human touch and being familiar with the folks you're going to be serving, lawfully serving, that is, uh, that'd be good. It's a good that's a good approach to policing is to have the people involved there, knowing the folks in the community. And we'd have such a shortage. I had suggested to uh, the mayor, and I'm going to suggest to, uh, I also suggested to uh, Sheriff Patty Tindall Cole, uh, Sheriff of King County, 
uh, that if you go down to Joint Base uh, Lewis McCord and with those uh, military folks been making seven eight hundred dollars a month, they would jump at a ten or fifteen or twenty five thousand dollars signing bonus, especially with a chance to make over a hundred thousand dollars a year to start with. And uh, we just have to get the right folks though, because you know that that uh, Oath Keepers list had a lot of folks in who were police officers as well as folks in the military and elected officials, unfortunately. But anyway, Reverend Harriet, I want to thank you very much today for all the stuff you're doing. And uh, we'll get back on to get those announcements out when you're ready to have one of those events from others. We'll definitely yes. have you back on. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. Okay. All right. Okay, uh, Nathan, we're going to take this last break and come back with the president of the Black Heritage Society of Washington State, Ms. Stephanie johnson Tolliver. So we take the break, we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum, North West with my message, Estimate Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. But I want to say, that I want to give a shout out to Sound Transit, to John Tay Robinson, the Office of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion, uh, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice. Josie Reagan, who I met yesterday at the at the, at the forum, and also Lawrence Coleman, and then the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Officer Liz Alzea with Mark, Carol, Carmen, and uh, Jesse. So now we'll go back to the president of the Black Heritage Society of Washington State, Ms. Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, and she has an announcement. Uh, I'd like to first of all give a little bit of background about the uh, organization, when did it get started, and uh, uh, what your plans are. We know we've got a big one coming up on Saturday, but the first time in a few years, you're going to be seeing people face to face. So go right ahead, ma'am. Yes. Thank you, Eddie, for, for having me on today, because we are excited as the Black Heritage Society. And, and I've been leading as president for the last four years. I've been active at the um, 
at BHS for a number of years, my, my family being rooted here. I'm a fourth generation Seattleite, um, so well-rooted and um, always lifting the history of Black people in the Northwest. So at the Black Heritage Society, I always say I sit on the shoulders of those historians and folks who in 1977 gathered at Esther Mumford's house, Esther Hall Mumford. I mean, she is the queen. Um, she and her husband, Don, invited uh, Jackie Lawson and um, Ben and Thelma McAdoo were there with Letcher and Arlene Yarbrough, these names that some people may know, um, to begin the, the idea of collecting and managing a collection of our history, its documents, photographs. So all of that started um, at the home of Esther in 1977. She was holding things in her basement. Um, they were collecting and really hopeful that um, this African-American museum was gonna be a go and that they would contribute um, you know, these photos and documents to support the museum. And um, by 1982, BHS became incorporated. So they were around to stay. And we've been here now, gosh, if you do the math, is that like 40 years or something? So um, we're really excited to hold the largest public collection of African-American memorabilia in the state. So it documents the lives and legacies of, of Black people. Yeah, it's very exciting. And uh, in terms of uh, the information on the Black Heritage Society, is there a website address people can access? Oh yeah, um, you can reach us at www.bhswa.org. And at that website, you'll find um, updates on what we're doing, um, links to other organizations, a calendar um, where we're entering some events that are you know, directly related with BHS, but other organizations are there too. Um, we're always encouraging memberships. And in these last two years, two and a half years, um, you know, it was really tough not being able to gather together as a membership, but we weren't sitting still at BHS. We, we have new members and organizations that are partnering with us and um, we'll make some really exciting announcements about that on Saturday at our annual meeting. It'll be at 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Douglas Truth Library. And another exciting thing there is Taylor Brooks. Have you met Taylor Brooks? You know no, who she is? She is the new librarian for the African-American Literature Collection. So what we know is that um, at Douglas Truth, it's the largest African-American literature collection on the West Coast. Um, the Seattle Public Library has now named um, Taylor as the manager of that collection, and she'll be there at our meeting. We'll introduce her to, um, to our membership and all the friends who show up on Saturday as well. And the meeting's going to be located where? At Douglas Truth Library. That's a library. Okay. Yes, in our community, Douglas okay. Truth Library, um, the Gaten family room, first floor. Well, President Johnson, I had to say it was our community. <laughs> 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 a little gentrification took care of all that, but that was on the books in 1973 mm -hmm. when, uh, as chair of the Central Seattle, Central Seattle Community Housing Federation, 
Mm -hmm. We released the first report on redlining December of 1973. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything that, that, that in that plan has come to fruition. High rises from waterfront to waterfront and a mass exodus of African-Americans out of the area. So do you know what percentage of the central area is black these days? Oh my gosh. It's, Let's say African, I want to make that clear. African descendants of the United States enslaved. There's a complete yes. difference between the black community and African descendants. Right, well, um, a huge decline from, you know, where we were even 10, 15 years ago. So I don't know, the percentage might be 7%. Could be less black well, people. A lot of that had to do. A lot of that had to do with not having affirmative action in Washington State for 23 years. Well, so I, in December I 1998, uh, there was a governor's directive issued. Governor uh, directive is 98-01 to kill mm -hmm. affirmative action. I 200 did not kill affirmative action. Governor Gary Locke's directive 98-01 that he issued in December of 1998 killed affirmative action in this state. And when they say affirmative action is dead, the first people they look at are people who look like you and I. Yeah. Okay. And then mm -hmm. the other thing is that uh, I was discussing with a colleague back in D.C. yesterday that, you know, uh, just because you're all minorities don't mean things are equal. Because of right. the fact uh, some minorities have access to offshore money. I mean, you know, Ethiopia has the airlines. Yeah. Nigeria has billionaires. So you can't say we're all equal. We've been here 400 years. Yeah. We made America a superpower by 250 years of free labor called slavery. And then 150 right. years of marginalized payments to Black folks. So, you know, when uh, it's really amazing to hear people like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, uh, mm. the racist Jewish guy, uh, 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 Stephen Miller, who is an anti-immigrant. And he's, you know, he'll never get invited to, to march in Charlottesville. As long as yeah. Ted is Cruz, he'll never be invited to the white supremacy. Neither will Marco right. Rubio. But you know, right. the thing about it is that if we're gonna talk about reparations, I proposed and submitted a proposal to several members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just have a federal designation for African descendants of United States enslaved and have a department in every federal agency to address our needs. After 400 years and all the blood we've given up this country, defending this country. And right now we have Black men and women all in the military all around the world defending someone else's freedom. And their fight is right here domestically. Your yes. fight is not in Japan or Germany or South Korea or any other foreign land or the Middle East. Your right. fight is right here for your rights uh, yes. as a Black person right here in the United States of America. It's not right. on those foreign shores. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, talking about going to fight China over Taiwan. And I can't, yeah. my people don't have a right no, to vote. You don't have access to economic justice, and you think I'm going to go and fight somebody that I don't even know? I mean, right. like Muhammad Ali said, "They never called me the N word." So you know what? <laughs> That's happening right here. Our it enemies is, are not on foreign shores. Our enemies are domestic, and they're led by Donald J. Trump. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of that is true, um, Eddie, and um, we see it happen nationally, but but locally, um, I love to see that we're. We're trying to take charge with some of our own destiny and um, also recognizing our footprint here in Seattle Central District. Um, just last week with um, the William Grove Center, uh, Fire Station 6, uh, and other properties that are being claimed and then also built and refurbished um, with support of the Black community and those who are who hold interest in, in seeing that Black people are lifted here.
Yeah, so that's good. That's what we what we support, and um, and then I have to give a shout out to the media group too that's been supporting the Black Heritage Society at Converge Media. You talked just a little while ago to the Reverend Walden, her her son um, Omari oh, Salisbury. Yes, um, is absolutely fantastic, and I've done a little um, traveling with him in the state to pick up stories from the Cravens. We were in Roslyn okay. a couple of weeks ago and loved it. That was the state's first black black mirror was in in uh, in, in Roslyn, yes. Russian, right? Yes, the coal mine yes. area, and they brought black folks up here from down south to yes. work in the coal mine to, to break a strike yes. or something like that. Yes, they did back and in 1890. About, so we've yeah, been around, right? We've been around this state oh, for a long time, right? And so um, preserving that history is what we do at BHS, and we're inviting everybody to join us and and help sustain that um, archive and that collection. Yes, indeed. So you guys are doing an excellent job. So once again, the meeting will be Saturday mm -hmm. at T Douglas Truth Library at 11 o'clock for the Washington, the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. President yes. Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, thank you so much. Thanks, you Andy. have a platform and you got ready to do something, please let me know you have a platform here on Urban Forum Northwest. So thank hey, you very you're much. You're always on my radar. Thanks, well, Thank Andy. you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to, I want to thank SeaTac uh, Bar Group, LLC. Uh, they own the Africa Lounge and Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A, uh, Sound Transit uh, uh, Civil Rights Diversity and Inclusion Office with John Tay Robinson, uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman and Josie Regan. And uh, we also want to give a shout out to the City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office with Liz Alzir and her group, and a shout out of condolence to two guys that I knew really well. Melvin Lozan uh, passed away. Uh, he will be funeralized uh, October 7th at Greater Mount Baker Baptist Church. And my good poker plan friend, Vicki Ward, uh, will be funeralized tomorrow at Evergreen Washelli at 11 o'clock a.m. And then uh, the repast will be immediately following it. The Royal Esquire Club. Eddie Rye will talk to you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.